Hi, this is Brian Frederick, principal with AWH, and you are listening to Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about growing mid-market companies. Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Frederick with AWH, and we're back with a new episode of Mid-Market Growth, a podcast about growing mid mid-market companies. I have Perry Mommer on this episode. Perry, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you asking me, Ryan. It's great. So Perry and I know each other because Perry is a Vistage chair and I'm in one of Perry's groups. Perry also is the founder of Relentless Leadership. So we're going to focus the conversation today on leadership because we talk about it a lot in Vistage and I don't know anybody that's that's more focused on and has spent more time thinking about what good leadership is, what it looks like, how it sort of uh, affects the people around leaders. So we're going to dig into that conversation today. And Perry, let's start by sort of the basics. How do you define leadership? There's lots of, of different ways I think that leadership is looked at and viewed. How do you sort of see it? What lens are you looking at it through? So there, there are kind of three lenses I look at it through. Uh, one of them, very simply, the, if you get down to it, is just influence, right? So I, I use that one a lot because that allows it, it's, it's irregardless of title. Um, anybody can lead, you can lead up, down, across. Um, so that's the simplest version. The, the next one for me would be David Foster Wallace once defined it as leaders are people who help others overcome their own selfishness, weakness, laziness, and fear to do better, more important work than they could ever do alone. And, and I really like that definition. And then for me, relentless leadership is the art and science of positively impacting the cognitive, emotional, and physical states of those we care about. Holy cow. Those are a couple of mouthfuls with lots of attributes, <laughs> positively caring about others, getting Yeah, we're trying to get people way. something to pick from. Acknowledging, acknowledging our own flaws and weakness, stop being lazy, right? That, that's, that's, a, that's, a whole, that's a whole bushel full of stuff right there. Is leadership something that can be learned? Is it innate? Is it a, either a character flaw or a character trait? How, you know, there's, there's like tons of books and articles and posts about, you know, like ex-military leaders, right? This is how you, you know, this is how you be, you know, you're a good leader. Ex-Navy SEAL commanders, this is how you're a good leader. Ex-CEOs, this is how, you, how you're a good leader. Does any of that really matter, consuming that stuff? Does any of that content actually help people become better leaders? Well, yeah, I think it does. Uh, well, the first thing to address the first question, I think leadership can be learned, but it can't be taught. And so what do you that's mean by the that? first demarcation for me is... is well, I just mean you can learn how to be a leader, but no one can teach you how. So that would kind of dovetail into your second piece about all the content that's available. I think all that content's awesome. As long as nobody's looking at it as a prescriptive way to learn to be a leader, because leadership has to be authentic to the individual. So if I'm going to consume all of that stuff, that's awesome. If I'm doing it in the context of figuring out for myself who I am as a leader and picking and choosing the things that resonate with me that I can be authentic about. So if if people can lear learn to become a leader, but they can't really be taught, then how do you fill that gap between someone who's not an effective leader today and them learning to become an effective leader and a leader that people want to follow and, and be part of what they're working on. 
if if there isn't a prescriptive way to sort of to to be taught to be a leader. And quite honestly, that's the real challenge, right? Um, from a leadership development standpoint, because we want a most most of us want a process. We want some you know step one, step two, step three, and if I do these things, then I'll be this. And unfortunately, that's not the way leadership works. So when I say that it can't be taught, the underlying assumption there is if as long as the other person's opting in, like if somebody has raised their hand and say, hey, I want to be a better leader, like I want to learn, I want to have a positive impact on other people around me, then they can learn those things. It's just you can't force that knowledge into somebody and say, OK, follow follow this process. And therefore, at the end of this, if you do all of these things, you'll be a leader. It's it's kind of like a long time ago the our pastor said, you know, going to, going to church and calling yourself a Christian is just like standing in the garage calling yourself a car. You know, it, the two things don't. It, you, there's no way to say I'm a leader. That's not a job description. It's a. It's more of a way of being than it is anything else. So is it is it as much um, sort of building on the? It's a way of being. Is it as much a? a mindset and as much as a, a behavior thing that it is that, that I, I check these boxes and I have these attributes that make me a leader? Uh, I think absolutely. I, I, you know, management and leadership, right? So I always tell people management is what you do. Leadership is how you do it. And I think leadership is very much how you do anything. It's, it's the tone you use, the words you choose, the, the things that you tend to focus on and, to your point, it's it's more about that than it is about what I'm doing on a day to day basis, because I can be a great manager and a lousy leader. I can be a great leader and a lousy manager. I could be neither. I can be both. So how do you separate because leadership and management often get confused? So it sounds like you separate the two between one is so, sort of the 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 act of overseeing people, processes and things i.e. management and leadership is the way that you approach your your work, your presence, the way you communicate. Do you separate leader? This is maybe an oversimplification, but that's why I want to get your perspective on it. Is management a little bit more sort of hard skills and leadership is a little bit more soft skills if you're in sort of a position to be able to oversee and direct others? Yeah, I think there's a multi, there's a couple different ways to look at it. I think uh, we manage processes and we lead people, and we just can't get those things reversed, right? We we no nobody wants to be managed. We don't manage people. People don't want to be managed, and so I think it's all about you know. And, and if you break it down, like management is all about efficiency. Leadership is really about effectiveness. You know how effective are we being? Where managers focus on efficiency, and and there there is a little bipolar in there because a lot of times you have to do both. I mean, I don't, I'm not taking anything away from management because we absolutely need fantastic management practices within organizations for them to be successful. There, they are required and necessary. Um, but it, but you can layer on man, you can layer on leadership on top of that, and it helps it helps management become more effective. So it, it's not necessarily appropriate to, to look at all managers as leaders and all leaders are not necessarily managers because it, it is in, and maybe there's a correlation between size of company and maybe type of company. But, you know, I mean, it, if we, if we took Jamie Dimon at Chase, for example, and he comes to mind because I was at a, a conference a few weeks ago where, where he spoke, Jamie's clearly more in a leadership position 
than a management position at this point, even though he's got important people in Chase reporting up to him. He's not paying attention to processes and, and systems as much as he is trying to sort of, you know, figure out a, a direction for Chase and where it fits into the global e ecosystem and economy, et cetera. But there are lots of managers at Chase who probably also still have leadership responsibility, right? So how do you sort of figure out whether you're a manager, a leader, or whether you're a managing leader, if that makes any sense? Oh, yeah. And I like to, I tend to try to not look at things in a binary state, but look on them as a continuum. And I see a continuum with management on one side and leadership on the other. And I think what happens is as you, to your point about size of company, as things scale, you slide up and down that continuum as needed. So I might have to swoop down and be heavily on the management side of it for a while because it's required. And then I can move up to the leadership side when I need to. And I might spend 80% of my time on the management end when I'm at, at some lower level and only 20% on leadership. And then it might slide up to that other side more as I grow in my career and spend more time with that. And one of the ways we do that, and it, it's a Vistage thing, but we often say that as a leader, you want to focus on questions around what and why. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Whereas a manager, you're going to focus more on who and how. I'm going to focus on well, how are we going to do that and who's going to do it. And so, you know, you can use that as a rough guideline if, you know, try to stick around those kinds of questions and they kind of lead down those paths. Right. Yeah, I love that. Can you measure leadership? Because I think that's one of the, the challenges that may people maybe have with it is that leadership seems undefined for many and then squishy, even if they've got a rough definition around it. So is there any practical way to actually measure leadership? I think it, it ha yeah, we have to default to if I'm a leader in an organization, then there has to be production. There has to be achievement of the goals that we're after. Right. And so I, I find it hard to say you're an excellent leader, but yet your organization's failing. Right. And so at the end of it, I do think that it really speaks to results. Leadership has to happen in context of achievement. And so the real reason, again, remember that, remember what David Foster Wallace said. We help other people, people overcome their selfishness, laziness, weakness and fear to do better, more important work than they could do alone. And so it does speak to achievement. At some point, great leaders are, are measured by what they've helped others achieve. So by definition, you really can't be a good leader if, they're, if you're not having successful outcomes from your leadership. Right. Well, because otherwise, what's the we, we can rest and say, well, I did all the right things. But as, as you and I both know, being around a lot of companies at the end of it, it's really about what did you what did you produce? I mean, did did we achieve our goals? Now, we can have ups and downs. It isn't going to be, you know, a hockey stick of just success, success, success. But but are we making progress? Are we making progress with people and are we making progress with process? You know, are we moving things in a forward direction? It may, it may be two steps forward and one step back, but we always have to make sure it's not one step forward and three steps back. We've got it in interesting because and I, I heard or saw this some somewhere where the, to, by definition, to be a leader, that means that you have to have followers, right? Somebody has to be following your your lead, right? And but I think that and maybe that was true because this I could have seen this twenty years ago, um, you know, in you know, in in a book or a quote somewhere, uh, but it stuck with me because it seemed to make you know logical sense of connecting the dots of of 
how, how do you define a leader? Well, in part, you're a leader if you have anyone that's following you. And if you have someone that's following you, then by that definition, you're sort of a leader. It's a very simplistic way to look at it, but it stuck with me. But now we have this weird dynamic of followers, right, as part of the, the social media platforms and tools where followers means something very different than it met than it meant 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago, or 20 years ago. Can you be a leader, even if you don't have people that are like, directly following your um, sort of path through the woods? Or is that still a component of leadership that's important that you have followers and people that are saying, yes, I like where you're headed with this organization, this company, this initiative, this whatever, and so I'm going to follow you. Is that still an important sort of tenant of leadership that you have people that are willing to sign up to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to attach my wagon to your horse? Oh, I, I think absolutely. And I think that to your point about the, you know, the platforms and social platforms, it really does speak to the very, the one word definition of leadership, right? Influence. Because you have people, I might not know you, but if I'm following you, you're somehow influencing my thought process. And so at that very base level, I think it works. And then at the other one, most definitely. And I, I think it's even more important now. And I think it's always funny to me because when I get groups of people together that are in leadership or aspire to leadership, I ask how many of them are in sales. And hardly anybody raises their hand and they, they, they almost offend, they're offended that I ask. And then I say, well, you do realize that that's what leadership is. Like it's a sales job because I'm trying to sell an intangible. I'm actually selling a vision as a leader. And so that's mostly a leader's job is to sell that vision, their vision of the future and try to get people to enroll that that's a vision they want to share. And they, they aspire to achieve the same vision. And it's a it's a hell of a job. Um, it, it's uh, oftentimes thankless and tire and it's you have to be tireless in order to do it, which is why I call what I do relentless leadership, because in my mind, leaders have to be relentless. They have to it's they have to have a very poorly they have to have a poorly defined sense of failure if you're going to be a great leader. When and why did you become so interested in leadership? Why, why is this something that you've invested a significant amount of it, your time and energy into? Well, it always stemmed from people for me. So I always was heavily invested in the people. I always wanted to try to figure out how to unlock potential in other people because I always saw it. And so it was always part of when I look at people, I'm like, wow, you, you've got so much there. What do we need to do to, to get that all unleashed inside of you? And so that transformed into this, the leadership piece of it, because I believe at the root of it, that's what leader, I believe leadership is love. Like, I think you have to care about people in order to lead. And so part of that led me to then the bigger, the bigger mission, which is, I think in our world, we deserve better leadership. And so I want other, I want everybody to step up and become the leader they were meant to be, because I think that creates a better world for everybody. And inside of that, you seem to have a belief that at least everybody has some degree of, of leadership capacity. Is that, is that true? And it's just at different levels and it just sort of manifests itself in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. I think everybody's got the potential for leadership. I think it's an opt in. Like I think what, what I want to do when I work with people is just get them to realize it's a choice and they can, and there's no good or bad choice. It's just, you can choose to, to pursue that or not just recognize you have that opportunity. And if you want to, there's a way to do it. 
So have we gotten to the point where we we know and we have some evidence around what traits make someone a good leader? And, and can we begin to assess someone's leadership potential or is is that still off in the distant future or maybe never to be never to be wrangled? Well, I can only offer an opinion, right? So uh, there was there was a period back in the 50s where it was that back then, and this is a horribly sexist way to say it, but they used to call it the great man theory, right? So they, they went through that in leadership development where they held people up and said, okay, these people exhibit these traits. So if you have these traits, you're a leader. And uh, I, I have the, the great benefit of working with a number of leaders across a bunch of different organizations. And in my opinion, I think that there are different people with different traits that make great leaders at different times for the right, at the right time for the right company. And, and so I see people that are very tremendous leaders and it's the leader that the company needs right then, but you couldn't pluck them out and put them over at this company and have them be nearly as successful. So I think a lot of it is situational. Uh, but I don't think there's a certain set of traits that you can just say, okay, if I have these traits, I can be a leader. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I think that's into your point earlier that we tend to want things to be binary, right? We, we we want it to be, you know, one, two, three, and if you do these steps, then then you know this is the formula to to some success. But leadership being as kind of situational and abstract as it is, it seems like we're on we're in a pursuit to try to give people assessments, whether they're work assess you know work assessments, personality assessments. Um, work style assessments, right? To be able to sort of get a picture of someone that says, ah, yeah, this person's going to get promoted over this person because their A is over here or their Myers-Briggs score is this versus this. But it doesn't sound like that those assessments, at least in your opinion, actually are, are enough of a formula to say, yes, this person is, is going to be a better leader than this person. Doesn't mean that Doesn't mean that the assessments can help inform potentially, but it's not an absolute to, you know, um, to any level of, of degree, it doesn't sound like. Not in my opinion and not by what I'm, I, one of the three kind of legs of the stool that I built relentless leadership on is neuroscience. And so I spend a lot of time reading about, you know, how they're the things we're learning about the brain. And one of them is, is that nobody is hardwired. Like we used to think that everybody's personality was permanent that you, you know, once at a certain point, like that's who you are. And that's false. I mean, they're neuroplasticity. We can rewire our brains. And so I use assessments, actually. I use one that uh, I use a psychometric assessment, but I use it only for a baseline. And I tell people I work with, I say, okay, when you took this assessment based on your upbringing, your education, your work experience, everything, this is who you were at the time you took the assessment. Now, understand that everything from this point forward is a choice. Like if, if you want to achieve things, I truly believe that our, our behavior should be subservient to our goal. So as a leader, uh, the biggest thing I can do is develop psychological flexibility. Like I have to be able to, as you said, situationally figure out what other people need and be able to flex up and down that scale to provide other people with what is going to benefit us as a group to get where we want to go. If I just take this line where this is who I am and this is the kind of leader I am, and you either follow me or you don't follow me, that, that's not a very successful road. One of the things that, that you say that I love, and you've said it uh, in the last couple of Vistage uh, sessions that we've had, is 
it's not about who you are. It's about who you are becoming. And, and I love that. And, and I think about it often because most of us, even if we are generally happy with who we are as, as a person and who we are as a leader inside of our, our personal lives and, and our companies, there's still a better version of ourselves that we're ultimately still efforting towards. So I love the fact that you frame it as it, it's it, think about who you're becoming not who you are. And, and, and I think that's a great reference to people think about, especially people who are trying to maybe go from a, a being a manager to being a leader and they're, and they're, they're trying to evolve how they're viewed inside of their company. Yeah. And the life cycle that I use for relentless leadership is explore, experiment, evolve. Right. So I view leadership as an exploration. Like we should go out and explore concepts, explore what's new and then experiment with new behaviors and then and then continually evolve and then start the cycle over again. So, again, back to the relentless thing, we're never we're never done. We're always we're always somewhere in that cycle or we always should be. Um, you know, it's that old saying, when's the last time you did something for the first time? And so I think that's what keeps us fresh as a human is is always being on the lookout for what can I do differently what what am, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? What are my feedback loops that are telling me I'm getting further or, or closer to my goals? And uh, always be willing to question what we think. You know, we shouldn't believe everything we think. Yeah, that's for sure. It would seem that being a leader also w- would equate to, or maybe maybe being good at relationships equates to being a good leader. H- how does being a an effective skilled relationship person fit into being a successful leader? I mean, it, it, it seems like it would be an important component to being a successful leader, your ability to relate to other people, be empathetic, um, but still be able to hold them accountable, right? There's lots of dynamics there that, that frankly, some people struggle with. How do you balance sort of being nice to someone <laughs> you know, in very simple terms, yet holding them accountable and sort of figuring out how do you balance that? No, you, you hit the word. I think it's empathy. And I think that uh, leadership requires empathy. But I, I think that it's sometimes we just have to make sure that people understand the difference between sympathy and empathy, because you don't want to be you don't want to exhibit sympathy as a leader. Uh, you can at times, but you always want to develop empathy. And empathy is merely being able to understand someone else's point of view and that and be willing to allow them to have it and that it's it's just as valid as yours. And without that, I don't think you can lead without understanding how somebody else sees the world and that it may be different than the way you see the world. I think that's um, it's, a, it's a sure way to failure. Right. It, it leads to polarization, because if I'm so if I'm so, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you can have your opinion. Just don't express it to me as a fact. Right. Because if you express your opinion to me as a fact, you leave me only two options. I can either agree with you or I can be wrong. And, and that's not a very good way right. to lead. And so there are very few things that are fact-based. They're, they're, most of, most of, especially with people, it's all opinion. And again, I'm entitled to my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. And we should be able to share those in the context of it just being an opinion that we're open to talking about, not a, hey, I believe this and that's the end of that story. Can you be an effective leader in, in, in your opinion with someone and, and be friends with someone? Um, because I, I see some leaders of companies that, 
you know that they they're very friendly with their team their team members right they they go out and and hang out at each other's houses and they go uh, events together right and 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 then there are you know leaders and I tend to lean more toward the yeah I'm going to be professionally friendly with 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 team members but I I, I don't want to become friends with team members and I think there's a difference between having a good relationship with a team member, being friendly, and then becoming friends. Do you think that that is a good dynamic for leaders? And, and how should leaders approach the level of friendship that they have with team members? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, you can be friendly, but I, I would hesitate to start being friends with people. And, and, and the reason that is, isn't because of the leader. It's because of the context for everybody else in the organization. Because as a leader, I have to be aware that everyone else's perception is my reality. And so while I might think it's okay and I might think that I manage it well and that I'm friends with them, but it doesn't impact my decision making and all of those things that I think, again, it's, it's myopic. I'm thinking about what I think. I have to be acutely aware of how it's perceived by everybody else. And so I think that's the real danger in it. I think you, I, I, to, to be honest, I think you can be friends with people. I just don't think it's a very good idea because of the overall perception of other people in the organization and then what that leads to when when certain things happen, how other people read into those things. So I think it places you it's a it's a risky it's a risky equation to get involved in. Yeah, I would agree. And I want to peel back the the sort of layers on the whole relationship piece a little bit more because I because I, I do think what you said sort of supports the fact that it's hard to be a good leader if you're not good at relationships and, and relationship skills. But a lot of people aren't good at relationships and don't have good relationship skills. They didn't have good relationship role models and good mentors. Maybe they still don't. Um, we don't really teach relationship skills right in in school right so it's either you have good role mo- models and mentors around how to how to effectively be you know a good relationship person or you figure it out on your own through trial and error as things either go the way you want or don't go the way you want how do you think about developing actually good relationship skills and actually being a good relationship person inside of of that you know structure of trying to to be a good leader well, I think it goes back to the, the, the statement I made earlier, which is I think you have to care about people in order to lead effectively. And so if you care about people, that's kind of the first step to, to developing a relationship is that I actually I actually have their best interest in mind, which to me, trust is the foundation of the leader relationship. Because if I don't trust you, if I don't trust that you have my best interest in mind, I'm going to I'm it's going to be hard for me to follow you. Because you're going to typically, as a leader, I'm going to ask you to do a lot of hard work. And I have to believe that you're, you're asking me to do things that are in my own, ultimately my own best interest at some point. That it's going to work out for me in the long run. Because if I feel like you're just asking me to do work for you because it's better for you or better for the company and it's not going to benefit me, then I'm going to be less likely to give you that discretionary effort. And so at the foundation of that is just is being able to care about people. And then if I care about you, I have to be able to... I have to be able to share that with you in some way, shape or form so that you feel it. Right. Which is kind of the, which is kind of the basis for any relationship is just that mutual caring. And so that actually goes to the, you know, kind of an emotional maturity, you know, how, how do I deal with my emotional intelligence? 
And am I aware enough and, and able to be transparent enough to share those things? Because a lot of leaders want to stand at arm, arm's length and, you know, they want to have that kind of rough exterior of I'm just going to tell you what to do and you should respect that and all of those things. And uh, I think we've seen that there's a certain limitation of that kind of leadership. Well, that's a great segue into the next question, too, because it, it's going to take a little bit of a, a negative turn here. Um, there are a lot of people who've been held up as good leaders, successful leaders, and then it turns out that they're not very nice people. And yet they're, they're still like, it, it, you know, we can, you know, I hate to pick on, you know, Steve Jobs um, because he's, you know, he's not here to defend himself. Not that he would ever listen to this and come on and, and reach out to me to defend himself anyway. Um, so I'm not sure it much matters, but, you know, we've sort of, you know, he still gets sort of held in high regard as a great leader. But if, if you believe, you know, a, a lot of the experiences that people shared about their time, you know, w with him, around him, working for him, he wasn't exactly the nicest, most pleasant person. So how do we sort of deal with that where we have these leadership, you know, um, examples that turned out not to be great leaders, but then they almost never get taken down off the Mount Rushmore of great leader uh, of great leaders either. Um, is there anything so that you, that we can sort of do there to, to make sure that we're not following people and, and, giving people undue sort of honor and, and sort of homage that, that, you know, either didn't deserve it, or now we certainly know that they, they probably didn't deserve it, but we sort of societally just continue to do it. Cause it feels like there's a, there's a friction there that we haven't yet sort of figured out how to overcome where someone's back to results and outcomes, some, someone's results were magnificent. So that elevated them as a leader, even though they weren't a very nice person. That's a lot to unpack there. I I know. Yeah, and I no no, I, and I think it's a really good point because we do that, and and we do when when the only and when we say results, right? So results can mean a lot of things. They can mean financial results. I mean, if you do a balanced scorecard, it could be retention, it could be employee satisfaction, it could be, you know, so I think it's, we need to have a blended set of metrics that we're going to use that, 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 that touch on all these aspects, but to use jobs as a, a, you know, to use him as an example, I mean, I, I would, you know, he obviously was a visionary. I don't, I think one of the challenges is, is how we define a leader, because I'm not even sure if you ask him, if he would say he was a great leader, if he were still around. I think he was a, definitely a visionary and he was almost maniacal in his focus. But when you talked about some of the things you brought up about relationships and people, and all, I mean, he, his, not only was he not a very good person at work, I mean, from all of, from all I've read, his personal life was a shambles. Like he, he couldn't, he didn't have any relate. He didn't have any longstanding relationships because the only thing that mattered to him was his work. And I think that you that there's there are people built like that that are great visionaries and that will take the take us as a society to the next place. I just don't know that that naturally should be talked about as being a leader of sorts. I think we need to have maybe some uh, some more granularity around different types of individuals and what they actually bring to the table versus, you know, just just using this big term of leader and saying anybody who's successful is a great leader. Yeah, very well said, because I do think that visionaries often become uh, also labeled as great leaders. And I, I don't know that the two, sometimes the two are connected and sometimes a, a visionary is also a great leader. 
but you know there are certainly those moments where someone is an is a visionary sees the world differently takes the world in a different direction you know takes an industry in a different direction but when it comes right down to it very few people actually want to be around them for very long because they're just so prickly and and hard to deal with yeah and i and i think that's actually what makes them a great visionary i don't i think they they can't care too much because of the, the the force of will that it takes to achieve the things they want to achieve that that thing they imagine. I think to a certain extent that's you know and, and you spend a lot of time in the startup space. I mean that's a founder's mentality, right? Nothing else matters, and we need that in society. We need people that will that will have that kind of hyper focus on uh, you know sacrificing everything to realize a vision. But those necess- that isn't necessarily a leader. Yeah. And I'm glad you actually brought that up about startup founders and, and entrepreneurs trying to evolve into leaders um, because many don't, um, it, you know, just like in, in any sort of endeavor of someone, you know, needing to evolve to be a different person and, and to have different skills and to view the world differently. And as you said, to make different choices about who they're going to be moving forward, many startup founders and entrepreneurs never become really great leaders. Um, and how much do you think is that is because of the fact that they had to they had to push this boulder up the side of a mountain to get the company to the point of even having long term viability, that by the time they, they get through that effort, that they maybe don't even have enough left, at least to, to just leapfrog from, okay, I got the boulder pushed up the side of the mountain. Now I've got to become this leader to this group of people. And I'm exhausted from getting, pushing the boulder up the mountain at this point. How, how much of it do you think is that sort of dynamic of, holy cow, can I just have a minute to step back and to allow myself to evolve from this, you know, boulder pushing up a mountain person to now this leader that this team of 50, a hundred, 200, 500, a thousand people needs. Well, I think that that's one component of it. And I also think that societally, we have to we have to reframe things that everybody leadership should not be something that everybody aspires to. I don't I don't think it is this thing that should be aspirational for everybody, that everybody should be a leader. And we don't spend enough time looking at it as a separate job. And what are the components that that lead to being um, that that enable us to be a great leader? And so I think that's one component. And the other piece about founders, the very thing that I believe one of the components is the very thing that makes them great at starting a company is also the thing that makes them want to leave a company because everything is in a startup environment and in a certain point in, in hyper growth, it's, it's, you know, it's all, it's all gas pedal. We're just pedal, you know, slam the pedal down. We'll figure it out later. We'll do all the details later. And, and that's what has to happen in that. But then at a certain point, organizations have to become sustainable and scalable. So now we have to start layering in process. We have to label, we have to layer in policies and structure, which, which by and large is what founders will resist. They don't like that. That's why they started their own company because they didn't like hierarchy. They didn't like when their mind bureaucracy or process or structure or forms or policies. And so at a certain point, every organization requires some of that, which is typically the, the, the tipping point for when a founder kind of looks around and goes, I don't even like working here anymore. Like there's too much structure. Everybody needs to sign off on stuff. And, but, but that's the very thing that will enable a company to, to scale and to be sustainable over time. So I, I think they just, people, 
um, have a very unique skill set. And we have to just acknowledge that they're the people that can do this one part, but they may not. They Maybe they can, but a lot of times they're not the same person that's going to run the company for the next 15 or 20 years. They'll go out and start another company because that's that's what they do. Yeah. Do you think that there's any sort of connection between founders liking that you know, very, that, that building, that creation phase, right. That, that, you know, pedal to the floor phase, as you described it and, and, and viewing that as some sort of abstract, maybe even demented form of leadership. Oh, and, and, and I think there are leadership qualities involved in it. I mean, look at what they can do. They can, they can surround themselves. They can get people to buy into their vision. They can get investors to buy into their vision. They can get employees to buy into their vision. And, and at the, and it's literally, a vision, like there's no material thing we can touch because they haven't built it yet. So it's an amazing skill. It's just, I think it's a, it's a very specific type of leadership that doesn't transition into running a company every time. Because I think as a, as a leader, you would have to then um, kind of evolve as a leader for the company that's going to become more scalable. Plus let's, let's, I mean, there's the whole thing of, of how it feels, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion involved in starting a company. It's it's highly emotional, and there's lots of adrenaline, and you know a lot of dopamine, and a lot of those things that are that are I'm getting reinforced. And then when things start to settle down, it becomes more kind of you know slow and steady. Make sure you come in and turn the lights on. Don't screw anything up. We can't change really fast. We have to be aware. But, you know we have to start paying attention to rules and structure and. Pro- and, and that's when, that's when a lot of times it's like, yeah, th- this is a place I, I, this is why I started my own company. I didn't want to work for this. So uh, I'll get you out of here on this because this is a fascinating area that, that we've dug into. So do you think that leadership is different by stage of company and that someone who is you know, a founder has has a different leadership challenge, even right, and and needs different leadership skills than someone at a then fast growth company, then at a mid market company, and then it is at an enterprise company, right? You can't. All those different settings require a different leader with di- a different mindset and different different leadership skills, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's actually a book. I used it in a course that I taught years ago. It's called The Leadership Lifecycle that, exper- that explores just that. That, and, and, and it's not saying that one person can't do all those things. It's just not, it's just not likely. But yeah, I, I believe you. I agree with you 100% that no matter the, the, there's organizations and then there's actually phases within the organizations that will require different types of leadership. And, and it's really about finding your niche as a leader as to where your certain set of skills is most applicable because some leaders are great maintenance. I'm going to call it maintenance leaders. They're the people that'll come in slow and steady, organic growth, heavy on the management side, you know, want to, want to do that lather, rinse, repeat. And then there's other people who like, that's the worst thing in the world. It's like a slow, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to think of, think about And I'm going to, I'm going to pick up that book because I, I think that we often view leaders as, um, you know, sort of once a leader, always a leader, or they they get looked upon as, okay, well, this leader is no longer succeeding as this company has moved into a different stage and a different phase. And it, it's, 
it, it may be just a lack of recognition that a different phase and stage of the company is now requiring a different type of leadership and a different leader. And maybe there just isn't enough awareness that a threshold has been crossed and no one should be surprised that the the company and the organization now requires a different type of leadership and a different leader, but it doesn't seem like we're we're as sort of plugged in and aware of those phases and stages. And then and then we we sort of expect the person who's been leading to continue to lead and to continue to do it well. And then when they don't, then we're kind of surprised. It's like, oh well, you know, you know, Joe couldn't you know Joe couldn't keep it going. Joe is now failing. Joe you know and but there probably were signs and there were probably, you know, uh, goalposts along the way that, that would have indicated now nah, that this has got to go in a different direction. Oh, I, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that the underneath of that is for leaders. And we didn't really talk about this, this particular thing. But the, the most, the, the most important thing for any leader is self awareness, right? It's, it's being aware of your own capabilities. It's being aware of your own success rate. It's being aware of your own limitations. And I think that the more a leader is self-aware, the more they can be the person to go when they start to feel that thing. Like I, I've seen, Ryan, I've seen leaders in, in companies run them up to a point where they get uncomfortable and then they, they sabotage themselves to bring the company back down to where they're comfortable running it. And then they get frustrated because they can't figure out why they can't grow. And they're actually doing it to themselves uh, subconsciously. And so I think self-awareness of knowing, okay, where is my sweet spot? Where do I like to be? And then not having judgment around it. It's not good or bad. It's just recognition that this is where I'm best and, and being able to move uh, from, from thing to thing that way, instead of saying, I'm going to be good at all phases in this, which I think is a, a tough road to hoe. Yeah. Well, and, and I fibbed earlier, apparently, when I said I was going to get you out on that last question, because this is going to be the last question, and I promise. Um, when you have a leader that, that, like in your example of a leader who takes the company to a certain level, then gets uncomfortable, and then sort of brings shrinks the company back down to a level that they think is more in alignment with the view of themselves as a leader and what they're capable of, of, of doing. What about in a situation where a leader needs to to move on how, how does a leader come to that realization through self-awareness of course but you know sometimes these transitions of leaders get really painful and really ugly because other people are seeing it and the leader themselves isn't seeing it is is there any graceful way to get in front of that so these situations of leader removal demotion what have you become a little bit a little bit less chaotic and a little less emotional? I definitely think there is. And I think it's self-awareness and ego, right? And, and humility. I think self-awareness and humility. And, and those are tough things to come by nowadays. Um, but I think that being a leader, the number one thing is having a certain amount of humility around. You know, I, I believe that one of, the, one of the concepts I love about leadership is, is, is uh, stewardship. You know, is that I've been, in, you know, as a leader... I come into an organization or I start whatever those is, whatever that is. If I look at it as a, I'm a steward, I have my only job is to make this better for the next person that does it. These resources aren't mine. They've been entrusted to me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to position this thing for the next person. 
And if I look at my job like that, I'm always ready to make the transition. I'm always in transition mode. I'm always thinking, okay, what's next for me? And then am I, am I putting this thing in place so that somebody else can come in and make it? And they're, they're going to do a better job than me. My job was just to take it from point A to point B. They're going to take it from B to C. But our ego gets involved. And then there's that, there's that you know, we get, as a leader, we have to measure, we have to really stay humble because it's easy to, to start believing our own press. You know, everybody's coming to you for answers and you get all this and you're important and all of those things. And suddenly you don't even aware of it. But now you've been sucked into that cult of personality and you've lost all humility in how you got there and what your capabilities are. Are the best leaders the the ones who are sort of reluctant leaders and, and they don't they don't they don't get you know, the sort of ego hit out of it that, that other people do? Would, would you say that's a common theme? I think that's, that's a good, I, I think there's a balance there, right? There's never an, there's never a, a, an easy answer, but I think there's a certain po- port of that portion of that. Yes, absolutely. When you have somebody, it's like, look, I'm going to do this, but it's not what I, I don't necessarily, I'm not aspiring to do it, but I realize that I'm, I'm best suited to do it. And I care enough about everybody here to do it for a certain point of time, but it's not what I want to, you know, it's not how I see myself. And I think that's the other thing is, is having a very good understanding of you are not your job. So having an identity outside of your role is, is extremely important for people because it gives you perspective on the role. I love that idea of leaders being caretakers, right? They're caretakers of the organization, of the, of the team for a certain period of time. And then someone else is going to take over and someone else is going to move it forward, but it, it removes your identity out of the equation because it's it's now you totally serving everybody else as part of the the organization or or your customers or your partners or or whoever uh do you care much about labels because servant leadership has become a thing and we we i now i think i saw a book at the airport that was called the humble leader or something like that do you care about any of those kinds of leadership labels or is, is that everybody just sort of circling the drain trying to you know figure out how to how to define leadership differently so that so that they can sell books well i think it's to a certain extent we have we rely on those because people you know we have to be able to describe something right and i think labels are fine so long as we don't look at them as a as a, a guarantee i don't think we should label ourselves so I think labels on things are okay, but labels on people aren't bad because once we do that to ourselves, we've now we've now built the box for ourselves. And I think you know, servant leadership, humble leadership, what relentless leadership, any of those things, they're just trying to set the tone for what we're going to talk about. And I don't think they're dangerous. I think it's how they're perceived and internalized that can be dangerous. Okay. Well, I know I said I wasn't going to ask any more questions, and I I worked about two or three more in, I think, but I tried to do it delicately so it didn't seem like it was obvious that I was asking another question after I said I wasn't going to ask another question twice. Um, Perry, if people, so thank you for your patience and bearing with me. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you, where where can they find you? They can go to my website, which will be probably in a week or two, it'll be up. But right now it's the relentlessview.com. It's going to transition into perrymoffmer.com. Uh, and then that's the easiest place to find me. They find me on LinkedIn. I, they, all they have to know is my name because I'm the only Perry Moffmer that I know of in the world. So that's an easy place. If you type that into Google, you'll get me. Awesome. 
Perry, thanks for doing it. Good seeing your your face. Good uh, good chatting with you. And uh, I will see you tomorrow. Um, not ironically, uh, for another <laughs> next visit meeting. So, yep. uh, thanks for jumping on and having the conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to the Mid Market Growth Podcast from AWH. This is Ryan Frederick, and we will see you next time.